A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. My name is Glenn Asun, and in uh, 1998, I, I lost my freedom for something I did not do. We first talked about the Glenasoon case on this show three and a half years ago. They charged me with first-degree murder uh, of Brenda Way. I was subsequently wrongly convicted in 1999 and sentenced to, to life in prison with no chance of parole. Glenasoon was paroled after a group called Innocence Canada took up his case. But by the time that happened, Glenisoon had already spent 16 and a half years in prison. The Federal Department of Justice decided that there had been a likely miscarriage of justice in his case. It was a bizarre and exceptionally rare form of parole. Glenisoon was out of jail, but he was not exonerated. He lived under strict parole conditions, and he remained a convicted murderer. Glenisoon lived like that, for over four years. During that time, journalists had no way of knowing exactly how the court came to decide that justice was probably miscarried. The preliminary ruling was sealed, and the original police evidence against Asun was also kept from reporters. But then, very quickly, things changed. 
my phone rang and uh, I just answered it and it was Sean. And then he, he patched me through to Philip Campbell, which is an, another lawyer that's on my case. And um, he, he told me that the justice minister had made a decision that my case is indeed a, a miscarriage of justice. And I was so overwhelmed that I just, I just cried, cried hard. A new trial was ordered for Glenisoon, and it was five minutes long. The Crown did not present any evidence, their way of saying, we give up, no contest. Asun was acquitted and exonerated. He was finally found innocent. But that was not the end of it. We're supposed to have open courts in this country. We're not supposed to have secret evidence. And in worst-case scenarios, where the system fails completely, and in our system, locking up an innocent person is considered a bigger failure than letting a guilty person go free. When that does happen, the public deserves to know why. But for months after Glenisoon's exoneration, the courts still refused to release the evidence that freed him. Leading the fight for transparency was Tim Bousquet of the Halifax Examiner. Tim was the journalist that you heard on this show talking about the Glenisoon case a few years ago, and he has spent years, years on this. His tiny independent news organization, the Halifax Examiner, took on the Assoon case in depth, and big legacy media brands followed his lead. The CBC and the Canadian press joined Tim Bousquet's legal battle for the courts to cough up the evidence, and just a few weeks ago they did. Tim has since been reporting story after story about what the police did to wrongly convict Glenn Assoon. The evidence that he fought for shows the steady progression from police incompetence and bungling to outright destruction of RCMP files. Materials that were never shown to Glenn Assoon or to his lawyers. Files that suggested that the real killer of Brenda Way was not Glenn Assoon, but a serial killer named Michael McGray. In a minute, Tim Bousquet joins me from Halifax to talk about what he has found out so far in the reams of evidence that were kept from him and from the public for so long. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Kate Barton, Joshua Leposki, Gavin Bevan, Ryan Kozak, Aaron Yeager, Jason Bazadian, Laura Servage, and Jim Molnar. My name is Jim Molnar. I'm an archaeologist in Hamilton, Ontario, and I support Canada Land. Canada Land peels back the covers to ask the question, how does this country work? And it is always relevant and engaging. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. 
help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Hi, Tim. Hi, how are you? I'm doing all right. Tim, we actually spoke about this case before. Um, you were on Canada Land speaking about your coverage of the Glenisoon case three and a half years ago. I want to play you something you told me in that interview. Here it is. I um, have tried to get the evidence in, in the uh, Glenisoon Brenda Way case, um, the court evidence. The court said, well, we had to give it back to the police department because we didn't have storage on it. So I went to the police department and said, yeah, I want this evidence because uh, I, I wanted some photos and videos to put on the site. And they said, uh, no, we're not going to give it to you. And, and I said, well, we don't convict people on secret evidence in Canada, right? You know, um, and as mm-hmm. of right now, Glenn Assoon is guilty. So we had a, a little legal battle about that. And my, my lawyer told me, yeah, we could win, but I'd end up spending about $50,000 chasing this. And of course, I don't have $50,000. <laughs> oh yeah. Did you ever get that $50,000? Um that was the court evidence in the original conviction and um I I I'm still looking for that, but uh, we did go to court to get uh new court evidence that was uh outlined what exonerated Glennison earlier this year. Um and we were successful and and it's going to cost something like 50,000 all said and done, yeah. So you, that that original, you know, that, that the point you make, we don't convict people on secret evidence here in, in this society or, or in any modern society. Yeah. That evidence remains secret. But strangely, this other evidence, which is like we, we have released this guy and later we've determined that he's exonerated, he's not guilty. Here's why. That was another legal fight and another huge expense to get your hands on that stuff. That's correct. And uh, the $50,000 to get that stuff... Was that all on the Halifax Examiner? Was that all your money? No. Uh, Glenn was finally exonerated on March 2nd of this year, but the, the court documents that led to his exoneration were still sealed. So the Halifax Examiner teamed up with the CBC and the Canadian press to um, hire a lawyer to get those documents unsealed, and we were entirely 100% successful, but it took until July 12th to do it. There were all sorts of um, court filings and back and forth with with the Halifax PD, the uh, uh, the public prosecution service here in Nova Scotia, the federal crown, Glenn's lawyers. Um, 
and that just ran up the bills. I haven't seen a final accounting yet. The Halifax Examiner's third of that is going to be considerably more than $10,000. So it it may approach 50,000, yeah. What were they fighting so hard to keep from you? What did you find in those files once once you won that 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 case? Well, to to put it succinctly, we found considerable police misconduct. Essentially, there was a, a federal Justice Department lawyer named Mark Green who was assigned to have a look at this case to see if there was any merits in Glennison's claim that he had been wrongfully convicted. And he wrote this document, a preliminary assessment, several hundreds, if not thousands of pages of documents that had remained sealed. But under the basis of that document, Glenn was, first of all, released in 2014, still had to wear an ankle bracelet and so forth, and then finally exonerated earlier this year. I'm still reporting on this, so uh, this is a moving story. But what we know so far is that way back in 1999, police were putting folks on the stand who were changing their story, at least in part because the police were either cajoling them or hanging carrots out for them in terms of jailhouse snitches, giving evidence that wasn't true. From my perspective, it looks as if some of these witnesses were lying on the stand with the knowledge of the public prosecution service. Now, I I have to be careful when I say that. I have not demonstrated that 100%. But then fast forward to 2004, and Glenn finally got a very good lawyer to represent him for his appeal, a fellow by the name of Jerome Kennedy in Newfoundland, who saw merit in Glenn's case and uh, hired an investigator here in Halifax, a former RCMP cop, and learned that back in 1998-1999, the police had other potential suspects to the murder of Brenda Way, and they did not follow up on that. So uh, Jerome Kennedy asked the the Crown and the police here, the RCMP, for information about those third-party suspects, those other potential suspects. And along the same timeline, an RCMP cop here by the name of David Moore had come independently to his own conclusion that a serial killer named Michael McGray had actually killed Brenda Way and not Glenn Assoon. So... He kept banging this drum that an innocent man is sitting in prison, and he he collected considerable evidence on this. Uh, a lot of it was on a computer server, but he also had several boxes of, of hard evidence. And this Newfoundland lawyer started asking for this stuff, not knowing that David Moore had it. And uh, Dave Moore went on vacation. He came back, he found all his computer files deleted and all his paper evidence destroyed. Maybe I will ask you to give us some context on this because it has to do with this very, it's interesting, the Violent Crime Linkage Analysis System, ViClass. Yep. What the heck is that? So this was started after the Paul Bernardo murders. You know, it turned out there were two police agencies right across the street from each other and they weren't talking to each other about violent crimes in their respective jurisdictions. And and there was a lot of political pressure at the time to, hey, you know, how could you screw this up so badly? So this system was created. It was based on an earlier version that the FBI used in the United States, but supposedly much better. And what it does is it tracks every violent incident in the country and 
the police officers on the ground are supposed to fill out this booklet. Now it's online, but uh, with all these details about what kind of weapon was used, who the victim was and what their characteristics were, if they know who the who was responsible for it, then there's all sorts of information like that. And you create this gigantic database and every police agency in the country has access to it. And they're supposed to be able to say, well, we have this unsolved murder here or unsolved rape or what what have you here in our jurisdiction. Does it fit the outlines of other similar incidents across the country? And then you can you can kind of build a, a, a suspicion of someone. And they have all these analysts, uh, Vicles analysts, and they're trained. They go to a three-week training uh, at the Canadian Police College. And it's kind of a little magic, actually. It's it's not as cut and dry of a science as you would think it is. It depends a lot on hunches and how you uh, how you massage the information, what you're going to get out of it. The ones who are very good at this have found they need to kind of tweak the system. They need to uh, lean into it, and they need to do their own independent investigations on the ground to kind of take the the database one step further. And that's what Dave Moore did here. He was assigned to look at Michael McGray, who was a known serial killer. He's from here in Nova Scotia, and he uh, was responsible uh, by this time, by 2004. He'd been charged and convicted of, of six murders, and he had claimed to lots of people that he had committed 11 more. And they were like, well, who are these 11 more people? And so this was Dave Moore's assignment, find out about this. But instead of just looking at unsolved crimes, he also looked at solved ones, and that included Brenda Way. And he quickly realized that Michael McGray was a primary candidate for her murderer. Well, you told me three and a half years ago that, that Michael McGray lived within a stone's throw of Brenda Way of the murder site. Yeah, you could literally throw a stone from where her body was found and she was killed right there to the apartment he was living in with her girlfriend. Okay, so Dave Moore is an, al- an, uh, an analyst of this Viclass database. He spends a lot of time looking into this very closely and, and actually comes to the conclusion that uh, Michael McGray is, is, a, is a, a suspect and maybe Glennison was improperly convicted. And this RCMP analyst, Dave Moore, goes on vacation for two weeks, and when he comes back, his office has been broken into, his Vi-class entries have been deleted, and his paper files have been destroyed as well? That's correct. He, he had them all in a locked cabinet. He tells me it was, I mean, it was hundreds and hundreds of documents, including paper backups of what he put into the computer system. But uh, uh, interview notes, uh, uh, Michael McGray's psychiatric reports, Dave Moore had had re-interviewed all the witnesses in, in the uh, assumed conviction, did a lot of groundwork like that. That cabinet was broken into, the locks taken off the cabinet, and um, all the information disappeared. I interviewed a couple of days ago uh, a colleague of his, a, a woman who had the same position as him in the office down the hall, and she said, well, that stuff was taken out after hours because if it had been done during hours, I would have known about it. And there was another RCMP uh, colleague of his who says that, that, that they they also felt the same way about Michael McGray as a suspect. They, they were also familiar with the case. There's two former RCMP people saying that uh, who had reason to believe while Glenn Assoon was still locked up that the serial killer was responsible. Tim, who destroyed these reports and why? 
that's the million dollar question or probably several million dollar question when uh, Glenn gets his settlement, hopefully. Um, it's not known right now. I, I have suspicions. Um, there was a representative on this class team from the Halifax Regional Police who was involved in the original murder investigation. That's not to say that he necessarily deleted the information, but the effect of deleting the information is that the Halifax Police original conviction and investigation stood. So Glenn has soon spent another decade in jail because this information had been destroyed. Wait a second. So this guy, Dave Moore, he works for the RCMP. He's analyzing the database. And in the same office is a Halifax police officer who worked the original Glenisoon conviction? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's quite something. You say it's not known who did this or why, but the RCMP seem pretty confident. They have said the deletions were contrary to policy and shouldn't have happened. They were not done, however, with malicious intent. Uh, that's their statement on this. That suggests that they know who did it and what the intent behind the destruction was. There is a person named in the documents, but unfortunately, that name is redacted. That's not, uh, it wasn't redacted by the court. The document submitted to the court was redacted, and it was redacted to the lawyer who was looking into this. So, yeah, they're protecting somebody. But uh, that RCMP statement that there was no malicious intent, that's just clearly not the case. First of all, it does not address the boxes and boxes of paper evidence that were destroyed at the same time. And secondly, even the computer files, as it was explained to me by a Viclas analyst in New Brunswick, it's not that you just press a button and the stuff disappears. You have to go in and delete it line by line by line. And Dave Moore tells me he had 369 entries. His colleague here in, in Halifax said it would take days working straight through to delete that much information off the server. So this was not a mistake or or someone accidentally doing something. This was uh, planned deletion. So you've got like two possible theories here. One is that you've got a, a very clear motive from this colleague who actually was involved with the Glenison investigation who uh, maybe had access. And then you've got the fact that Dave Moore was constantly butting heads with his superior and was moved to a different department, though that doesn't really establish motive. That you know, that's motive to get Dave Moore transferred, but it yep. doesn't explain doesn't explain why they would want all that all those records gone. Dave Moore is a fascinating character in this. He's a big guy, you know. He's probably I don't know, two hundred and seventy pounds or or something, and he, he's a uh, very headstrong and very smart. And he's the kind of guy that rubs authority the wrong way. <laughs> so. I can see that they didn't like him. I mean, that's clear from, from all the documents. But he had good evidence that uh, it was not Glenn Asun who killed Brenda Way, that it was the serial killer. And he took it three or four different levels inside the RCMP to insist that uh, they had the wrong guy. And um, he was ignored at every turn. Not only was he ignored, but Glenn Assoon's legal representation had no idea. They had no idea that both Dave Moore of the RCMP and this other RCMP member thought that somebody else did it. That's right. And they were looking for that information. So Jerome Kennedy, the lawyer, had requested this very information, the Viclass information, and he was told, well, it doesn't exist. I'm just trying to get like the bird's eye view of this whole thing. I mean... You got this guy, Glenn Asun, who is uh, known to the police as a criminal record, um, is guilty of, of beating the hell out of Brenda Way uh, repeatedly, yeah. a woman he's involved with for many years. 
I could see very easily, I think, that Glennison would be the first person that you would suspect going right back to the original murder. And my guess is, and my kind of layman's understanding is that 99 out of 100 times, it is the violent boyfriend, sure. you know? And then you, you could kind of imagine the cops just like wanting to make, you know, uh, of course it was this guy, but we just want to make damn sure he gets convicted for it. So they do a sloppy job. And also, who's going to look that closely at the murder of this sex worker, of this drug user? That they, you know, that they, they maybe they just did a sloppy job and it's sort of like, you know, never attribute to malice what could better be uh, assigned to indifference or laziness. And yet, once they've done that, they now have something to protect. The conviction of Glenisoon, nobody wants to be responsible for putting an innocent man in prison. And now you get a much more malicious, hypothetical, alleged series of cover-ups and corruptions and destructions of evidence, all to protect that original investigation. Is that essentially the larger story here of Glenisoon, of what we think may be at work here? I, I think you've got it almost entirely right. I would just add that that original police investigation back in the 1990s was not as simple as, oh, this guy must have done it. We'll stop looking at other people. It's pretty clear that at least some of the people who were witnesses in the original court file had uh, collaborated to frame Glenn. It's hard for me to believe that the Halifax police were not aware of that. I've read repeatedly the court transcript from back in the day and it's just absurd it seems like malicious prosecution the facts be damned and um as you say glenn was not you know he's not the rosy victim here he he was not a good person but he had a he had an alibi uh, a fairly strong one i in my opinion and he had um especially in some of the other evidence. Um, he wasn't even in the city when he was said to do things. And there was no physical evidence at all uh, linking him to the crime. All of the witnesses were either given lenient sentences for pending charges, or they were crack addicts and alcoholics who were essentially incoherent until they got on the stand and they repeated what they were told to say. I mean, I want to look at your work for a second. Any journalist covering crime, I mean, it's sort of one of the one of the highest things a journalist can accomplish is to get an innocent person freed from prison. You didn't do that. No. The group Innocence Canada, after Glenn, you know, represented himself and exhausted every possible avenue for appeal and nothing worked. He'd been in for years. Innocence Canada, this group, took up his case. They must be credited for his release, which was this uh, the first thing we talked about three and a half years ago, this exceptional circumstance where he was given this this release from prison, this weird probation where he was not exonerated. He was still under house arrest. He was still a convicted murderer, but he was a free man because it was it was considered so likely that he didn't do it, that there had been injustice uh, in his conviction. You come in at that point. And your years of investigation have to do more with how did this happen, who's responsible, and can I get my damn hands on the documentation that the authorities seem so hell-bent on keeping from me. You were only able to do that as an independent news organization that is uh, funded by you know a handful of supporters and a, a, a successful micro-news organization, not 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 totally dissimilar from Canada Lens in the way that it's set up. You were able to get your hands on these documents because you had the Canadian press and the CBC, I think, follow you. Was Is it fair to credit you with being kind of like the chief journalistic force that was digging into this? And then they came on and supported you in, in your quest to get these documents? Well, the CBC and the Canadian press have 
follow the story from the beginning, but you know what it's like to be a daily news reporter. You have other assignments. You, you're not given the latitude to dive into a a story at great depth for, for months at a time. You're not given the, the time or the resources to do that. And I'm able to pick and choose those those stories. Um, my in, initial investigation into this story, uh, which I published back in 2018, 2016 took about 13 months of going through the documents and finding people and interviewing them and that sort of thing. And that's just beyond the capabilities of mainstream news organizations, unfortunately. You've interviewed Glenn Assoon about his time in prison. He actually goes a little bit further in his criticism of the media than you, not just that they didn't have the time to dig into his case, but, but he says that media actually hurt him. He says, I had bad media coverage and people judged me on that in prison. And he was, uh, he alleges he was tortured and beaten by cops and, and targeted by uh, other convicts because he uh, was convicted of, of murdering a woman, that he was persona non grata and didn't have a friend. I've gone back and I've read the original media coverage back in the day. And, you know, I know these reporters, so I know that uh, they're generally good reporters, but it, it's... It's the perfunctory court coverage, you know. It's it's you show up and you say, this person said that, this person said that, um, and you don't take it much farther than that. Again, because they're they're not afforded the time and the resources to do that. I think the trial coverage was fine. It, it was it was what it was, and and you know the trial was a shit show. Glenn was representing himself, and it, it was just it was crazy. And they convey that. And I think that uh, Glenn, to some degree, um, is the author of his own demise. He, that's not to blame him. He didn't have the legal resources or the, you know, he couldn't present his case in a coherent manner, as I don't think most people could. There was no lawyer there, uh, which is, again, one of these problems is like a man went on, on trial for murder, a brutal murder, and had no legal representation. I, that that's just that just should not be allowed to happen. But it but it did. Well, I mean that that is a right people have. It's I think almost always the wrong choice. But that is a right people have to represent themselves. Yeah, it's a complex story why he didn't. But uh, so I think what was conveyed to the public at the time is, hey, here's this brutal guy. You know, he's done all these horrible things in the past, and he's really being disruptive during this trial. I wasn't there, I can't say, but um, by reading it, I can kind of get how the jury and the prosecution and the judge were just kind of tired of it all. And so he was found guilty, at least in part, because he was a tiresome character and not because the evidence led them to guilt. And that was reflected publicly through the news coverage. Exactly. Mm Mm-hmm. What did Jody Wilson-Raybould have to do with all this? So back in 2014, this uh, Justice Department lawyer, Mark Green, created this document that got Glenn released from prison. It's called a preliminary assessment because what's supposed to happen after that and what does happen is that the rest of his team, it's called the Criminal Conviction Review Group, which is a bunch of lawyers, they go and do a, a thorough and full investigation. And that took a year and a half or so for them to do that. And they come up with a recommendation to the justice minister. And by the way, that document is not public. I would love to see it because it must have much more than what we know already. But anyway, their their recommendation to Jody Raybould Wilson was 
that she order a new trial. She sat on that recommendation for 18 months, did nothing with it. During that 18 months, Glennon soon had a mental health breakdown. He had to be moved back to Halifax. He was in BC at the time with a family member, and he had to be moved back to to Halifax um, with a different family member. And you know, he has counseling and 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 healthcare. The criticism is that she didn't look at this uh, swiftly enough. She took no action, and it was only after the SNC Lavalin stuff when David Lamenti replaced her that he immediately took action on the file and ordered a new trial. It all took place in about five minutes the next day here in in Halifax Supreme Court. The initial conviction was overturned, a new trial was held, and no evidence was presented, and Glenn was found not guilty, and he was therefore fully exonerated. There was a new trial, but it was really just sort of a formality. The Crown had no intention to pursue Glenn Assoon. They were letting this go. No evidence presented, that means he's exonerated. That's it. Who killed Brenda Way? It looks like Michael McGray did. There is a lot of circumstantial evidence connecting him to the crime. But again, there are people who are on the record about uh, Michael McGray telling them he killed Brenda Way. Last time I spoke with you, uh, you said you had your doubts that McGray uh, was in fact the killer. You, you you said you liked somebody else for the murder. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the most uh, bizarre things about this story is that Brenda Way lived in the same apartment building as another repeated rapist who um, had attacked a bunch of sex workers out west. And he lived like one floor above her in this apartment building. There was another guy by the name of Greeno who um, had been convicted of, of other sexual related vicious attacks who was in the bar that she was in that night saying that he was he had slit someone's throat and then there's yet this third character this michael mcgray um a serial killer who lived you know immediately adjacent to where she was killed there was no shortage of potential suspects on this the halifax police sent a constable uh, steve maxwell from halifax to the prison in new brunswick to interview mcgray and the constable simply asked Michael McGray, did you kill Brenda Way? And uh, McGray said, no, I didn't kill her. Constable turned around, walked out, and that was the end of the investigation. They didn't do any follow-up on that. And they basically took the word of a serial killer. But then here's Glenn Assoon professing his innocence at every turn, and they, they wouldn't believe him. The larger context of this, as as we discussed last time, was the this marginalized community uh, in Dartmouth of impoverished people of, uh, you know, a lot of criminal activity, uh, a lot of drug use and drug addiction, drug sales, and a lot of sex work and people who are kind of forgotten, overlooked. So there's a lot of rapists to, you know, lay suspicions on. There's a lot of people with criminal histories you could be looking at at trying to get to the truth in, in situations like this. They're trying to bring people in to do video interviews with them, but they have to get them at a time when they're not high. Yeah, It's a mess. And actually sorting through this, I think, raises much bigger questions than than who killed Brenda Way. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know that part of the reason I got into this story is because it really gets into that underclass that's here. It's it's more or less of a permanent underclass that's ignored, it's preyed upon, and and it's people who have whose society have just 
given up on. And as a result of this, there's all sorts of violence within the community and onto the community. One example of this is they brought uh, the sex worker to testify against Glenn. She had been living in Toronto um, to try to clean up. And they brought her here to, to testify and they put her up in the casino hotel, uh, which is just down the block from the courthouse. Knowing the the police knew this that when she was in the hotel she was using crack and and turning tricks because what better place to do it than in the casino hotel and that information was not made available to the jury or the judge or even the prosecution and that surely would have discounted anything she had said but there's repeated examples of things like that one of the fellows who testified against Glenn was um, had changed his story because. The cops said, oh, Glenn's a vicious killer and you should you should testify against him. So he changed his story. He now says that he's been drinking since he was a teenager and he doesn't even remember giving testimony. Just on and on and on. It's all a very sad, sad story. It's about a, a sad part of our society. And, and you know, Glenn, soon aside and the wrongful conviction aside, we should give a damn about these people. How far are you going to take this? You've already put a lot of time and effort into this. Uh, I mean, and what's the outcome? Is is it like a provincial inquiry into into police corruption in Halifax? I mean, it goes beyond Halifax. It's an RCMP question. What's the desired outcome for you? And what do you want your work to, to result in? I, I think probably we should have some sort of inquiry to, to determine the specifics of this case. But another inquiry won't get us into a better place. I mean, we, we've got great past inquiries, all, all, very informative. <laughs> it, it doesn't do any good. <laughs> this is Canada. We, we, we Inquiries and inquests and reports are what we do here. No, look, uh, one big thing about this is, is uh, from the start is the secrecy. The inability to get your hands on records, the inability for his lawyers to get their hands on records, the inability for departments to be talking to each other, just the, the lack of transparency seems to be a big takeaway from this. If anything could be fixed from this, it seems like if there was just a, if it was just easier to get your hands on information, then, I mean, even the system itself would have benefited. I mean, like how many people have put years and years of labor into this? It's tied up the courts. It's tied up professionals like yourself, uh, RCMP analysts. I mean, it goes on and on. Yeah, I I'm um, kind of surprised at the, the lack of uh, national coverage on this story. It is outrageous. It is fucking outrageous. It is uh, the w- worst instance of police misconduct and a wrongful conviction that I've seen in many, many years. It's almost as if the rest of the country just, uh, I, I don't even think they're aware of it, but uh, those who are just are, are not giving it the attention it, it deserves. The the federal justice minister sh- should be addressing this. Um, I mean, he did with by ordering the, the, the new trial, but we need to get into the police misconduct uh, issues involved here. And Glennison needs to be made whole. You know, I spent a, a few hours with him the other day to interview him. And, um, you know, he's doing all right. He's doing better than he was, but uh, he's a broken man with, with um, He's broken uh, psychologically and, and physically and uh, financially he's broken as well. All he wants at this point is to be able to buy a piece of property somewhere and live out his life in relative comfort. And how can we deprive him of that one one thing and yet no one's speaking up for him on a, from an official standpoint saying we've, we've got to do right by this guy?
That is your episode of Canada Land, a program that shockingly many Canadians don't even know about. Why don't you tell one about it um, and they might like it. If you know somebody who might like Canada Land, tell them. Or email me with your thoughts at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send us. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. We have uh, a major piece of reporting coming out this week, a written piece that you should read if you care about what's happening with newspapers in Canada. And there will be a new episode of Oppo this week, which is important because we have an election coming out. And this is the podcast that keeps you up to date with Canadian politics. Look no further. This episode is produced by Kasia Mihailovich and our managing editor, Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by... CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like the show, you can support the show and everything else that we do. And we rely on your support and we need it. And we pay you back with things like ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. Please go to patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.